Greg again, and thanks again, you guys, for uh, coming here. It's been kind of a full weekend here at Mariner's Church. We had last night, we had comedian, a couple of comedians that came to a great job talking about marriage and relationships and all that. And this morning there was a relationship seminar, and so um, this place is being used in a great way, and we're really happy, um, happy ab- about that. When I was in seminary, um, after college, I was going to um, seminary, I was house-sitting at a family's house. You remember when you did that, when people asked you to go to the house and, and, and house-sit? And I didn't mind house-sitting as long as they had a cool dog. And, and this family had a cool dog. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a cool dog. And, and, and they knew me because I was attending this, this church while I was in seminary, and, and the owner of the house um, became a friend of mine. They, they were deacons in the church. And that church deacons were kind of like the, the official people that, you know, made decisions and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and at that particular church I was going to at that particular time, um, there, there was a rule, and for a variety of reasons they had, had this rule, that, that you were not allowed, if you're a member of the church, to, to, to drink. Alcohol was something you just didn't do. That was kind of one of the, one of the churches that did that. And, and, and I don't mind those kinds of rules at all. I mean, they don't, they don't bother me because I always figure if you're, if you're going to go to a place like that and, and commit to those rules, then, then just, just do it. I mean, just live with it, and that's kind of the way it, it, it needs to be. Well, anyway, I, I was there. They, they were gone. I was staying at their house, and, and I wanted to take the dog for a walk, and so I was looking for the dog's leash, you know, and I can't find it. And so I was looking here and there, and finally I went to a cabinet, and I opened it up, and holy cow, you know, there it was. That was their, their booze cabinet right there, you know, several, lots of bottles of, of this and that and, and, and the other thing. And I thought, well, this is interesting, you, you know. Um, we, we signed a deal. We were to make a commitment, you know, not, not, not to drink, and this guy's a leader in the church, and there's some bottles here. Now, I don't know what you do when you come across stuff like, like that. I mean, I'm not sure what goes through your mind or, or anything like that. And I thought, okay, I got this awesome dog right here, and, and, and I got to think this out, so I'll just sit down with the dog and scratch him a bit and, and try and process, you know, w- you know w- what this is all about. Now, now it's not about alcohol. I, I'm not against drinking. I, I, I'm honestly not, not whatsoever. In fact, if I have a tickle in my throat, I'm the first one to down a couple shots of NyQuil, okay? It's not a big deal for me. <laughs> By the way, they say NyQuil is Christian Jack Daniels. You know, you just you know, <laughs> knock a couple back. And there, it's not a deal for me. And, and, and there's really nothing sinful about alcohol, you know, the demon in the bottle. I don't, I don't, I don't hold to that. I think it's, it's, it's wrong to drink if people around you um, um, are addicts and by your drinking you cause them to stumble and fall or if you yourself are addicted and, and you can't drink. I think that's, that's, that's not a good thing. It's not wise and it's, it's wrong to do. Um, and there's nothing wrong with making rules about it. I mean, if that's the type of place you're at. So as I'm kind of scratching the dog, you know, I'm thinking all this stuff out. And, and, and kind of what happened in my head is, is I, I thought, I asked the question, why are churches always known for having all these rigid rules, you, you know, that don't do this and, and, and don't do that. In fact, a lot of people I talk to, when you talk to them about church, first thing they think about is what? Rules. You know, thou shalt not. Thou shalt not do this, or thou shalt not do that, or everyone's, God's maybe even up there trying to find out if you're having any fun and trying to put a stop to it, you know? And that's kind of the image people get of God. And, and a lot of times, I mean, some of you, you know? You got tired of going to church and walking out feeling worse than when you walked in. You feel more guilty, you, you, you know? 
and, and, and so I asked myself the question, because I was in seminary, I was kind of kind of moving into this career, and I thought, why, why do pastors make all these rules, stand up front and make rules and, and this and that? And, and then I began to ask the question, do, do rules really make a difference in the first place? How good do rules really do? What if I kept all the church rules? Well, what would that do? I mean, I, I began to think that one through. What if I kept more than you? You know, what if I were able to keep a lot more than you? Would that make me better? Would that make me a better person? What if I kept more than you and I knew I kept more than you? Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see where this is beginning to happen? I think it would probably go to my head and I'd think less of you. And if I was a real jerk, I'd make judgments about you and I'd become very proud and very arrogant. And I think I could never drink a drop of that wine and still be the worst jerk in the world. Um, what, what is with this outward stuff, you know? And why do we think that somehow all this outward rules are going to really change my life? Why do we, why do we think that? Uh, something kind of different happened in the Bible. Um, it says, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, now, if you're not familiar with the terms, the Pharisees were the religious guys. If anyone were the rule keepers and the rule makers, it was the Pharisees. I mean, that's what they did. They were professional religious rule makers and uh, professional religious rule keepers and wanted to make sure that you did as well. And, and the teachers of the law, well, they taught the law and they keep the rules too. And it says they came to Jesus from Jerusalem, okay? Now, now where Jesus was... And, and where Jerusalem was, it's about a 60-mile journey, and they came on foot, a three-day journey at least, to ask one question. They asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And I just say, really? You know, you, you walked from like Livermore to Half Moon Bay to ask, how come you don't wash your hands the right way? Are you, are, you, are you kidding me? You know, for real? And, and I'm sitting here scratching the dog. I'm thinking, I got to get this stuff figured out, you know? Not only for maybe some ministry that God might put me in, but for my own life, you know? For my own life to figure this stuff out. And if I'm going to move from, and, and we've been talking about this, a fan of Jesus to a follower of Jesus... We've got to kind of figure out where rules fit into this whole game here. And maybe you do too, because a whole lot of us may think that coming to a religious place means just more rules, just more rules. And maybe this church has a few less rules than the other church I went to. And, and, and if they have too many, well, maybe the next one will have even less still, and maybe finally I can meet their, their standards. Um, so even though most of you are not scratching dogs right now, um, <laughs> it's time that we get this stuff down. And, and I'm just going to bow and ask that you would pray with me for a, a second. God, give us the right frame of mind and the right heart and give me the right words right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Our whole year we are calling radical. Um, and radical means affecting the fundamental nature of something. And it means far-reaching. That's what a radical thing is. Um, way out there, 
And when you think through a radical, a radical is somebody that's completely sold out on something, completely, absolutely focused on that. And there's a difference, as I mentioned, between being a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. You know, a fan of Jesus is, you know, I've got Jesus. Yes, I do. I've got Jesus. How about you? He, you know, remember that in high school? You know, whereas a follower is just not screaming words. A follower is somebody who said, I will give up myself to follow you. Follower sees Jesus as their only hope in life and sees him as their savior and Lord and goes anywhere and will change their lives for him. A fan, if Jesus is giving them a winning season in their life, will stay with it. That's what a fan does. If, if Jesus is giving me a winning season where my marriage is good and my job's going well, my health is okay and my kids are doing fine, then I'll, then I'll, then I'll, then I'll be a fan of Jesus. But if things turn bad, I won't. A follower just simply says, wherever, whenever, however my life looks like, my whole life is now for you. And Jesus never said, hey, be a fan of me. Jesus again and again and again would come up to people and say what? Follow me. Follow me. Jesus says, when you follow me, I will make you into everything I need you to be. And also you'll become everything you want to be. Everything. What you do, what you think about, how you live, your purposes, your values. And so Jesus gave a talk about this. And Matthew, who was one of whom Jesus came to and said, follow me, he left an incredibly lucrative business and followed Jesus. Gave it all up. Just gave it all up and said, I'm not going to be a fan of this guy. I'm going to be a follower of him now. And Jesus said some words and gave a message, and Matthew wrote them down, word for word. Wrote them all, all down. And if he didn't get them the first time, then he asked Jesus, Jesus, what would you say after this? What would you say after that? And we have that. It's written in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Some people call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's just really a message that Jesus gave. And as you read through it, you're going to read through, and it's a really cool portion of the Bible. You're going to find out that Jesus tells us how to live. Count how many rules are there. You won't find many. Because he's not going to talk about the outside stuff. He's going to talk about the what? Inside stuff, the heart. Because some people say that, you know, the heart of the matter is what's in, in, in the heart. Jesus would say this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. How many rules? Zero. None. Not a single one. As Jesus is starting out on the way we're supposed to live life, live life, he hasn't given us one, one rule yet. And, and this is the deal. Jesus wasn't against the rules. He just didn't think they did much to change your life. They just don't do a whole lot to change your life. And then Jesus says this, and this is where I want to spend just a couple more minutes on this one, when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I like that, pure in heart. Sounds like a Hallmark card, doesn't it? You know, you're so pure in heart, you know. That's not, or worse, it sounds like something somebody might say on the Hallmark channel, you, you, you know. And, and I'm not sure Denzel Washington and Man on Fire, you know, holding an RPG is saying, I want you to be pure in heart. He's not saying that, you know. He doesn't talk about pure in heart stuff. Um, when I was in, in middle school, some kids realized I was a Christian, 
And so during lunch, they surrounded me and threw out every swear word they could think of and said, are your ears too what? Too pure to hear this, Paul? Are your ears too pure to hear this? And, and, and purity is not on our top list of things that I want to have in my life, you know? It's just something not. I didn't take my kids out and give them purity lessons, you know? It's just not something you, you, you think about. But bingo, you know, there it is, you know? Blessed are, are the pure in heart. It seems to be a pretty high priority with Jesus. And then he says this, blessed are the pure in heart for they and they alone see God. They see God. Couple words here, we got to kind of tangle them. What does our heart mean? Pure in heart. What does that mean? If you're going to be pure in heart, when Jesus talks about heart, we know he's not talking about the thing that pumps. Okay, we we know that. You know, we we, we can figure that one out. Tony Bennett, remember him? He's got to be like 160 years old. You know, the singer. He's he's like ancient, but he looks what? He looks exactly the same. You know. Anyway, he left his heart where? In San Francisco, right. He's saying, I left a part of myself there in San Francisco. And that's kind of getting close to what Jesus is talking about. It's, it's like that, only deeper. It's the core part. It's who you really, really, you know, really are. The Bible says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow springs of life. You, you hear that? That kind of helps you understand it. Your springs of life flow from your heart. Flows from your, your heart. Jesus would say the, the wickedness and the lies, it doesn't come from your mouth. It comes from where? It comes from the heart, on the, on the in, in, inside. It's, it's who you are. It's the real you. And then Jesus says our hearts need to be pure. What does that mean, pure? How do I have a, 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 a pure heart? I don't know. It just doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of fun there, you know, and and now you know me, you know, how I can be such a rebel. You know, I'm just that kind of a radical rebel guy. Sometimes when I'm, I'm feeling really hardcore, my yogurt cup, I don't recycle. You know, I'm such a <laughs> bad boy. And one time I wanted to stick it to the man, and I snuck candy into the movie theater. You know, isn't that like me? Actually, the word Jesus uses for pure is the word you'd use when you'd heat metal so hot that all the impurities would burn off of it, and it leaves it pure, the real deal, all the way through. I remember when, 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 when one of my kids was, was, was growing up, he was, he was learning, and it's, it's marvelous to watch children as they develop in their brains. And this one, he was very verbal, very verbal. So, so his development, actually, he'd, he'd, he'd talk it out. He'd talk it out. And, and he'd try to understand um, content of things. And so he would, like, look at a box, and he would say, what's in that box? And I'd open up the box, and, I, and I'd show him. Or, or he'd see the milk carton, and he'd say, what's in that? And, and I would unscrew it. I'd say, there's, there's milk inside, you know. And, 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 and we were outside one time, and he said, what's that? I said, that's a rock. And he would say, what's inside that rock? And I had to say, Daniel, it's rock all the way down. He'd see a log. Dad, what's in that rock? And I'd say, Daniel, it's wood all the way down. Purity in heart says I'm pure. I'm God's person, not just here, but what? All the way down from the inside to the outside. A long time ago, I read this little booklet. Maybe some of you have as well. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. 
Um, and it's pretty cool, and, and it's kind of like this little story of a guy who opened his life to God, to Jesus. And he's kind of likening his heart to a house or to a home and opening it up to God. And each room symbolized a part of his life. And so he's kind of giving us a tour and kind of a make-believe story as Jesus is walking through the, his life or his, 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 quote, home. So, for instance, the library is what he'd read and think about. The kitchen is what he'd talk about. His rec room is what he'd do in his free time. And so Jesus is kind of taking the tour of his, his heart, his life, you know, and, 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 and all of that. And, and there was a closet that Jesus came to. And, and Jesus says, I smell something in this closet. And, and, and he writes, I wanted Jesus to move on. But Jesus says, no, if I'm going to make my home here, we have to open up that closet and see what's inside. And, of course, he didn't want to. And it's called My Heart, Christ's Home. And, and, and God wants to come in and clean it out. The stuff that we know is hurting the relationships we have with other people. Stuff that we know is just kind of holding us down. Pure in heart says, okay, as hard as it is, as embarrassing as it may be, to you, God, I'm going to open up the closet door. Please come in and clean it out. Because there's certain closets I'd just rather not have God look at. And that could be somebody I won't forgive or bad stuff that I have done or where my mind goes when I'm angry or dis disconnected. One day a guy interviewed students um, um, at a Bible seminary and asked them a question, interesting question. He asked these guys, what does a good Christian look like? What does a good Christian look like? I had a clipboard and all that kind of stuff. What does a good Christian look like? And they'd answer him and he'd write it down. He'd go to another, 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 and he got his answers together. And he got answers and, and the answers were this. A good Christian goes to church every Sunday. Second one is a good church, a good Christian goes to a Bible study every week. Third, a good Christian goes to prayer meetings. And fourth, a good Christian gives their money to the church. Those were the four top ones. What would, what would you say on that? Now, do you notice how you could do all of those things and still have an awful lot of rottenness on the inside? You see that? One of the phrases that just, just drive me nuts is when somebody say, well, he's a good Christian man. Or she's a good Christian woman. I, I, I don't like the phrase. I just, it just, it just, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. And I, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that, what that means. Because a good Christian knows they're not what? Good. Knows they're not good. <laughs> you know you're not good. Don't call me a good Christian because I'm not. In, in fact, the more I know me, the worse I think of myself in regards to how, quote, good I am in following God. It's one of those things where maybe when I finally figured all this thing out about Jesus, I felt I was up here. But the more I learned how bad I am and how much craziness is still on the inside, my scale kind of drops way, way, way down. You know, and, and, and I, th I think a good Christian knows they're not, and they, remember, they're poor in spirit. We talked about that. That's where Jesus starts with that. God, before you, I'm nothing. I'm not good. Don't call me good. And I mourn over my sin. And that's what Jesus says. I mourn over my sin. 
because I realize that I'm not even close. There's a brokenness that has to come so that Jesus can rebuild us back up again. It's not don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go out with girls that do. I mean, that's not what makes a good Christian. It doesn't work that way. But why do we go to externals and lists? The Pharisees did it. You know, why do we do it? I will sometimes want to do it because I can control the list. I can game the list. All right? I can game it. I can make the list so that I can achieve it. You know, I can do this and this and this and this and this. At least the way I want to interpret the list. I'm so glad God doesn't leave me that. He just doesn't. He doesn't. Um, So if I make up the rules of what it looks like in following God, I'll make sure those rules are the ones I can check off, and I'll check them all off. And what's worse is you don't follow my rules, and as a result, I look at you a whole lot lower than me. And all of a sudden, we're right at those kinds of churches that you left and that you don't want to be part of. And this is not to knock down any church. This is just simply to say, I want us to be real about this whole thing because Jesus was. And Jesus drills down deep into our roots and into our our hearts. Remember this. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's a great question. Nobody. God God can. If left alone, boy, I can become something that I don't want to become, but I will. Jesus said this, the peop- these people honor me with their lips. Their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. The real change has to come from within. And that's why the change of heart is the way to change a life. Never the rules. It's a change of the heart, changes the life. It never, ever has been what a person does. It's who a person is. And this is where Jesus wants to come in. So how, how can I keep my heart pure? <clears throat> um, Jesus is going to come in if you allow him to and make it pure. You might not like the process, but he's going to do it. Um, but if you want to write down some words, here they go. First of all, number one is want it, want it. David wrote this, created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You got to want it. If you don't want it, it's not going to happen, really. Or at least you'll be fighting against God on this one. Um, Second is let God search me. You know what a dangerous prayer is? I'm saying dangerous in a healthy way. It's this one. Search me, O God, and know my heart. There you go. God, search it. Look at me. Look at my whole heart. Look at it right now. Dangerous prayer, but good. Because you're saying, go for it, God. And then it says, Point out anything that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And then the third thing is do my part. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I like that because it calls me a young person. I I like that, that part of it too. But my part's obeying it. And so Timothy, who was a young person, um, um, Paul was writing to him. He was a young pastor and it says, If you keep yourself pure, you'll be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean. You'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything. This is our part that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteousness, living faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts.
And the result of this all is, as Jesus would say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, what does that mean? And I was going to put a big, you know, Michelangelo painting up here. Oh, I see Michelangelo, you know, you know, God that's reaching down to somebody. And there's a couple ways to take it. First of all, see God when this life is over, eternal life. Um, God does not accept religious people. He accepts forgiven people, not religious people, forgiven people whose hearts are pure, and that only happens through Jesus. Second way, see actually means get, perceive. I get it. God, I get what you're doing. I understand what you're doing in my life. I understand what you're doing in that person's life now. And as my heart is pure, I see people not as annoyances or in my way or as objects, but as people God made for himself. And I see my struggles in God's hand in them. And when and if I get my heart pure, then I can see actually God's hands at work in this world. God one time said this, I will show you how holy my great name is. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And your filth will be washed away. How does he do that? He says this, I'll give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart. Isn't that cool? I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on up right now. It's it's not rules. It's really honestly not it's not rules. It's it's a pure heart. And 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 so we're gonna close this time. They're gonna do a song in just a moment and we close this down. And of course the question is always is for you in your life, pure heart your heart or as my son would put it what's on the inside is it Jesus all the way down you know is it Jesus all the way down and maybe you've been following rules or think you'll have to obey a bunch of rules to come to God no it's just a pure heart what kind of God would make it really really hard to get to him why would he do that I'm going to take a second I'm going to invite you to just pray with me right now maybe in Maybe a little spiritual inventory of your heart, your life right now. Maybe for some of you, it's kind of making sense, you know, um, that God actually responds to an open heart to him. Maybe you've been frustrated with all the rules you haven't been able to keep. Jesus was frustrated with all the rules people made. He just said, open your heart to me. Jesus says, I, I know you can't do it. I, I, I can't even do one rule, Jesus, much less a million, ten. But you forgive me because you love me. And your love was shown because you died on a cross for me. And that's enough. And that's it. Simple as that. And you come into our lives when we welcome you like that. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you do. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you guys for being part.